Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Let's go places. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producers, Paul Mission Control Decant, as well as Alexis, nicknamed to be determined, Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Or at least that's the name we use when we describe this show. Today's question starts with first figuring out what what's in a name we know they're powerful currency in the modern media right they're a cognitive shortcut you've only got so much time on air if you're a news anchor names can also function as what's known as a thought terminating cliche this is familiar to longtime conspiracy realists and the more we think about this insidious practice of grouping multiple things under one phrase the more often we notice it Conspiracy theorist, that's an easy phrase as an example. But then there are things like 
Truthers, for instance, Snowflakes, or for an historical example, 49ers. This is common. This naming practice is common in all walks of life, numerous spheres of debate. There's not one political group that does it more than any other. If you're watching the news in the United States recently, you are aware of a term that has attained a new prominence all its own. Antifa or Antifa? 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 Antifa. I think it just depends where you are when you're saying it, perhaps. We're going to find out what it means and you'll realize that all of those kind of work. It's it's funny because Antifa sounds like someone's aunt who's like named Fa, you know, or like short for Farah. Well, we're also, regardless of how you choose to pronounce it, you're probably aware of just how controversial this term and what it represents can be. It's not a stretch to say there are, if we're being diplomatic, differing opinions about what Antifa actually is, and we can't even agree how to pronounce it. And as we explore these opinions, we quickly find ourselves hip deep in conspiracy. But first, here are the facts. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, let's just uh, do a little housekeeping with the term here. What does Antifa actually mean? Where does the word come from? It seems to many of us to be a very recent uh, development, um, at least here in the United States. The term traces back, however, to Germany. In the 1930s, the Communist Party of Germany had a wing called, I'm going to do my best here, Antifascistische Aktion. I'm not perfect, but I think that was close. Uh, it's there's a lot of repeated sounds in that one. It's, it's <laughs> I had to do a double take. Um, and this later became referred to by a much more abbreviated and punchy word, Antifa, or of course, anti-fascist. I got okay. So one thing I want to hear what you guys think about this. This is entirely my own unup- unfounded opinion. This is not a fact and should be not taken as such. But it seems to me if you want to build a lasting movement or rally around some sort of cause, it's smarter to make a name that stands for something rather than against it. Like a a good example in this nomenclature would be the two very different uh, names used on on opposite sides of the abortion debate. Supporters of abortion are are most likely going to describe themselves as pro-choice, right? And opponents would describe themselves as pro-life. They're not anti-abortionists by their own description, and people aren't necessarily on the pro-choice side describing themselves as uh, pro-abortion. I, I I don't know. There's a marketing power in names there. So like anti-fascism starts as what? Like it's against something that already existed, right? Yeah, but it's against something that I think most people would typically characterize as bad, right? That's the thing that's so interesting about this whole debate. Like when, when, when well, yeah, I don't know, Matt, what do you think? He, well, I just, I would say first we have to know what fascism is, right? And that's another part of this whole thing that, that word, that term gets thrown around an awful lot. And, you know, it's on us uh, to learn what that is before we, you know, are throwing around Antifa. Yeah. Right? Like if my boss makes me work on a weekend, I call that person a fascist. That's appropriate use of that term, right? Well, we're, we're going to find out here in a moment. The big thing is that today when that, you know, that term Antifa is thrown around, it's really misleading because it's being applied to a ton of different individuals, of groups and organizations, of even the, the tactics that are employed by individuals or groups. Um, and, you know, the idea here is to fight fascism, right? Um, 
it is short for anti-fascism or against fascism. So what exactly is fascism? Right. And now now we're in even deeper definitional water, right? Because fascism, like Antifa or anti-fascism, doesn't really have its own solid, uh, solid definition. Fascism does have a fascinating history. Sorry. Just, I'm, I'm going to leave. Yeah. I can see you Noel can't on leave. You're already home, Matt. Where are you going to go? <laughs> Anywhere but here. I see all of the Zoom going. We're just going to move on. We'll pretend that. No, no, we, we roll with this here on stuff they don't want you to know. But it's true. It, it, it's, an, it's, an, it's a word that comes from something seemingly pretty innocuous. It's an Italian word, fascio, uh, referring to a bundle, um, uh, which in this case would represent uh, like groups of people. Um, so you know, I think we'll, we'll get to this, but it's become negative by association. The initial like it wasn't designed to be an inherently negative thing. It was just designed to be descriptive. Its origins date all the way back to ancient Rome, uh, when the fasces uh, was a bundle of wood with an axe head um, that was carried by leaders um, in in Roman politics and. Defining fascism today is much more complicated because of the fact that many governments, organizations, and individuals have been called this. Uh, it's, it's been lo- you know lobbed around as kind of a term of abuse in post World War II. Um, this was often used as an insult by opponents uh, or critics of a given movement or a government, like the way I you know talk about my boss, who loves this show. By the way, I know I don't, I don't mean it. <laughs> Which I, one? I, I don't know if he loves the show. We have so many bosses now. And uh, that's corporate people. America. My figurative boss, you guys. This is not. This is just a, for the purposes of demonstration here. Uh, but it was Mussolini that really got the phrase to kind of catch fire and be associated with what we think of as fascism today. True story. Yeah, you're right, Noel. 1915. One of the only uh, bad bends. In history, there aren't a ton of them. Uh, yeah, Benito Mussolini, that's where we think of fascism. That's the uh, sort of origin story of modern fascism. And when we try to define it, we see that a lot of people in academia and politics have made their careers based on arguing what the hell this is or is not. Generally speaking, it's somewhere between a specific genre of authoritarian government and a set of tactics deployed by governmental institutions. So kind of like how all mazes are puzzles, but not all puzzles are mazes. All fascist governments are authoritarian, but not all authoritarian governments are fascist. Very good, Ben. I love I love the old mazes puzzles yeah. <laughs> analogy. Um, so let's talk about what those characteristics are. Right. And some of them are, you know, how they function and then what what they do, actions they take. So uh, you could describe a fascist group or government as being very, very against and opposed to their opposers. So anyone who is going to be a dissident or not believe the same things that they believe or fight against, um, I guess, the desired beliefs of a populace, they're going to aggressively attempt to suppress that or block that in some way. They are going to attempt to, you know, use whatever power that they do have, this group or government, to 
essentially use it in a dictatorial way. So what they say goes, anybody else, again, going back to the first one, is uh, not welcome. They want to have intense control on everything that occurs within their their society, within the whatever it is that they control, right? Uh, that's everything from the economy to what people can and can't do in their personal lives. And another characteristic here is that depending on how, let's say, let's just say it's a government, depending on how the politics and government work within an individual area, when you have a fascist group in power, essentially this group is going to see fit to change whatever rules existed prior to them coming into power, right? That's, I guess, one of the things that we could say there. Well, I think hand in hand with that comes a strong sense of nationalism, Right? Yes, because it's there has to be an othering, you know, in order to say we are the ones who are right. We are the righteous path. All others who oppose us are wrong and therefore need to be shut down. And that requires kind of like a, you know, it's us against the world. And that inherently is a pretty nationalist kind of view, right? Well, yeah, that's a very important, important thing here is that wherever they are functioning, there is going to be a us versus everyone else attitude, essentially, that's put forth in everything from laws to, you know, small things on the books that you wouldn't call a law necessarily, just kind of a norm. Um, Ultra nationalism is certainly a factor here. Mm -hmm. And it can't, it's sort of the way that, this is a weird sentence I never thought I would say, not as a ding on capitalism or fascism, but a, a, a comparison I think that's worth making is that the same way capitalism must have a profit motive to exist for that mechanism to work, fascism must have a conflict motive to exist. Fascism must exist in opposition to something. And also, it's super convenient if you're a, a um, an iron-gloved dictator because you can just change what fascism means whenever you want. You know what I mean? We've always been at war with East Asia, right? That's one of the the most uh, pivotal, impactful lines of fascism in fiction. And Orwell himself, of course, av- avowed anti-fascist or Antifa member. But so Antifa is something we can't fully define fighting something that we also can't fully define. We know the characteristics. We know the actions and the tactics. Um, but but I'm, I'm intrigued to hear more uh, about Antifa history. Because like you said, Noel, it, doesn't, it didn't start in 2017 in Charlottesville. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as a movement, it has its origins in what we might describe as the left, um, even the Communist Party, the Socialist Party, the idea of anarchists and the like. So uh, while fascism is often characterized as being a far right militaristic, you know, hyper nationalist ideology, again, problematic to even, you know, assign it to an ideology in particular, um, anti-fascism is the opposite. It's, it's, it's very much uh, something that, that, that leans far to the left. Uh, part of this comes from the simple order of operations uh, that you find in history. Leftist groups were the first primary targets of fascist violence. Um, and it arose as a reaction to that violence, as a way to organize and uh, protect um, folks that were identifying uh, in this way uh, from these types of attacks. And there's an author who is cited quite often when discussing this topic. His name is Mark Bray, and he wrote Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. And he writes about how, you know, the modern movement of Antifa 
it really started in the 1980s. And there's a group at that time called Anti-Racist Action. Its members confronted neo-Nazis, another pretty modern movement of an older thing, right? Uh, They would go to punk gigs, you know, music uh, performances and everything. They would go out in the Midwest and other places in the United States, and they would just actually have confrontations with people that they believe to be neo-Nazis. Are you guys familiar with the SHARP movement? Yep, Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice. I always found that to be fascinating. It's it's like, you know, with, with a rise in um, skinheads in like punk rock scenes and hardcore scenes in the 80s, uh, there was a splintering uh, and folks who like, I guess, still identified with the aesthetic of, of a lot of that, but but were not about that life, not about that white nationalist um, ideology. And it was something that began in New York in 1986. But the idea of, you know, someone that like, hey, skinheads can be cool too you know we, we we can also be like about equality and uh and so therefore you have the sharp movement i think it's a tremendous point it's one that echoes what we set up at the beginning which is these grouping disparate movements or people under the same convenient figure of speech or turn or phrase sure It feels good to do that because we're humans, we categorize and classify things, we want to see patterns, but we do a disservice to ourselves and others when we fall into that trap. Uh, By the early 2000s, the Antifa movement in the U.S. was, I, I guess, considered mostly dormant in terms of mass media. Like, there were definitely groups who aligned themselves with that. They just weren't getting uh, in CNN. Yeah, and they they certainly weren't getting in CNN, but they were also, they were showing up every once in a while. I don't know if you guys remember, especially during George W. Bush's presidency, there were a ton of protests, and there was some reporting on uh, anti-fascist movements, but it was very few and far between. And I can't recall at least any major protests that turned violent in a way that the, you know, group in power, the, which whoever was president at the time, whoever was running the show, that they had such um, a response, I guess, or a public response against this group or people who they labeled as Antifa. Or like uh, Black Block as well in Occupy movements, which uh, we'll, we'll get in. Don't worry. We'll, we'll meet the Black Block later. Uh, now, Fast forward to just a few years ago, uh, don't call it a comeback or do call it a comeback. Antifa is back in the news. They get new modern prominence after the events of what was called the Unite the Right rally. You probably remember the photographs that went around the U.S. and the world of people marching with tiki torches, saying things like, Jews will not replace us. This was a gathering of numerous right-wing groups, including, as you can tell from that slogan, white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia, in August of 2017. Antifa was uh, back in the news uh, in, uh, described as counter-protesters uh, in, in, this, uh, in this debacle. And uh, today, you know, it'd be surprising to look through most news sources on their websites or watch most news channel shows and not notice some sort of uh, mention of Antifa, but 
the groups, there are groups who identify as Antifa. It's a very real thing. This wasn't made up out of whole cloth. The problem is that there are a number of groups identifying with this, and they have different, at times contradictory, goals, and they have an even wider range of different tactics, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it would typically be stuff you would categorize as nonviolent, like chanting, shouting, having sit-ins, human chains, you know, holding up signs, the like. Uh, but Antifa uh, has become controversial because they're like like any lumped together large movement that there are many, many kind of splintered factions of, like with the skinhead example, um, there are going to be more extreme um, little kind of offshoots of this. Um, so some of these factions of protesters uh, that's often referred to as agitators, uh, which is another kind of term of abuse that's very easy to categorize all of the members of this movement as agitators because of a couple of uh, bad apples or whatever, if you will. God, I hate that term, but it's what we have. Um, so there's a belief in direct action, confrontation, and at times, violence. Uh, that can include things like actual weapons, pepper spray, brass knuckles, throwing bricks through store windows and cars, vandalism, graffiti, knives, um, and, you know, switchblades, things like that that are easily concealable. And in the modern day, it can include internet-based tactics, things like doxing when you release people's personal information or basically, you know, just outright... Um, misinformation spreading about individuals and trying to ruin people's reputations um, on online. Um, so, for example, releasing personal information about a victim online, getting someone fired uh, for their political views, putting them on blast in that way, not in a uh, positive way in which someone maybe deserves it. But I guess deserving it depends on which side of the argument you're on. Some of these folks who are righteously indignant might believe that they are doing the right thing, but that's not really the point. Um, so why are there so many conflicting narratives? And, and is there one way is there like a truth uh, core to this whole thing so it really does take us back to the main problem here and that's in the same way when you're dealing with a group that has no leader right that has no head that has no um, mission statement essentially for the entire group and control you know from one uh, sector or from one governing board however you want to put it uh, just like anonymous the same thing with Antifa, there is nobody at the helm. It is like-minded people that identify as this movement, as Antifa. And again, much like groups like Anonymous, with Antifa, when someone claims they are Antifa, they are Antifa. That's how it goes, right? Mm -hmm. And That's your you know, qualification, you can, is wanting to be that, right? Yes. And then generally, you know, there's no swag to buy necessarily. I'm sure you could find it somewhere on Pinterest. Somebody's got uh, an amazing Antifa store there. It's not like the uh, KKK or the Communist Party. I'm picking two different organizations, so I'm not picking on anyone. Like, you want to be in the Communist Party, you have to apply to a body. You have to join. There's a membership. There are probably dues. KKK is the same. They have ranks. They have hierarchy. That doesn't exist in this concept. Yeah, or like the Crips and the Bloods who both had their own soda in Atlanta, at least for a while there. Uh, thanks to Killer Mike. Good on you, Killer Mike. <laughs> and, and, you know, you have to 
you have to look at this in from both sides, right? And that's what we're attempting to do today. So not only do you just get to decide that you're Antifa and then you become Antifa in the same way, if you have an opponent, let's say, or someone that you dislike their views with, and you label them through your words or actions on Tifa, then guess what? They are until that person comes forward and proves that they are not, right? And then you could say that's exactly what an Antifa member would say. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's really good. You're absolutely right, Matt. The definition is dangerously malleable. If you think about it, it's like beauty or pornography. The definition all too often lies in the eye of the beholder. And and for anyone interested in what a problem those two definitions have been, uh, I would I would recommend checking out the court case in the U.S. pertaining to James Joyce's Ulysses, where the uh, <laughs> I think the deciding legal opinion was uh, some highfalutin version of pornography is pornography. Everybody knows what it is when they see it. 100%. With Maplethorpe as well. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I swear, I, I, you're totally right. And that's problematic because that's how Antifa is used as well, where we don't have a good definition, but it's used by people in power as, oh, that's what it is because I know it when I see it. And it's this slippery definition that fuels the numerous ongoing conspiracy theories about Antifa. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. 
Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places from football playoffs to basketball madness tcl roku tvs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports with all the biggest sports channels a sports zone with all available games in one place and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as the herd with colin cowherd cheering on your favorite team has never been easier a big screen tcl roku tv offers premium picture and sound quality so you'll feel like you're right in the action find the perfect tcl roku tv for you today at amazon.com here's where it gets crazy first i I, you know thinking about this off air it's it's always it's like a fireworks show do we save the big explosion for the end or do we start big i feel like we have to start big with the most prevalent conspiracy theory about antifa oh i know where you're going with this ben oh boy Lay it I, think on I know me. exactly where you're going. <laughs> so, all right, all right, let's just do it. So, the the first thing you've probably read, likely on Facebook, I'm gonna bet Facebook, maybe Twitter too. Twitter actually, you know what? Anywhere on social media, you've probably heard something on there about how Antifa, Antifa, whatever it is, you know what are these groups of all these differing contradictory aims somehow. All of these people are knowingly working together in secret and have a leader. They actually have a leader, right? People who really put this theory forward or people who at least believe it, right? They they will argue something like astroturfing that we've talked about a lot on this show, uh, where essentially there would be a lot of varying groups standing in that you would see in the spotlight, right? But they're actually standing in for something else. And uh, the group, I mean, that's kind of like a front company. But in this case, it would be as though every time you see a big group of protesters, they aren't actually there of their own volition. They aren't actually there to protest something. They're being paid to be there. They're like, uh, I don't know, straw men protesters? I don't know what to say about that, guys. (laughs) But ultimately, people who believe this would put forward that these these really wealthy, generally left-wing individuals and groups are the ones that are behind Antifa. They're the ones funding them, radicalizing them, putting them on buses or in other ways to send them to towns and cities everywhere to wreak havoc on the United States, on both the status quo, on the infrastructure, on the economy – on everything, and they're doing it for their own 
nefarious and probably for, you know, money and power reasons. But Matt, a leader of this type would have to be very, very wealthy and have lots of resources and also wield a lot of influence politically, right? Oh, yes. There is a prominent figure here that you have likely heard many, many times before, Mr. George Soros. Oh, yes. You know him. You love him. George Soros. He's a billionaire. Uh, as of May, his estimated net worth was in the ballpark of $8.3 billion. Uh, fellow listeners, it's important to keep in mind, however, that every person at that level of wealth is more than capable of hiding the full extent of their assets. So while it's a good financial guess, you should not take it as gospel. Soros has been accused of so many things. He's He, he occurs in conspiracy lore not as often as the Rothschilds, but uh, he's, he's an up-and-comer on the charts. He's been accused of vowing to destroy the United States. Uh, Reuters claimed to have debunked this, uh, but the belief remains. He's also been accused of outright owning Antifa, kind of the way you would own maybe a trademark or uh, a company or a battalion. And he's been accused of owning the Black Lives Matter movement as well. This comes from one of his primary political enterprises is something called the Open Society Foundation, Long-time listeners, you know that innocuous names with a lot of money behind them usually means something something fishy might be going on. Just be suspicious. Anyway, uh, that, this foundation, OSF, claims that they support the aims of the Black Lives Matter movement and they support the aims of other protests, but that they do not pay these organizations. They don't pay them to organize. They don't, importantly, pay protesters to show up. And the leaders of Black Lives Matter say that they're a relatively decentralized group. However, you do a little bit of digging, uh, Open Society Foundation makes a lot of donations. They create a lot of grants. They did set up a $12 million grant, uh, and this is the verbatim quote here, to help organizations fighting institutional racism. They also donate to a number of related groups, things that um, ally with their aims uh, across the planet. And it's including things like Planned Parenthood. It's including things, you know, like groups that uh, try to address systemic or institutional racism so kind of this the heart of this conspiracy sort of hinges on whether what's the difference between a donation and what's the difference between out and out payment like are you giving people support because you believe in their mission or are you paying them to do to like do a specific task you know what i mean yeah well and also it arises the question of whether or not by supporting you are talking about bussing in protesters or some action like that which is something that occurs. Uh, we've seen it happen in the past for, you know, various protests, for various photo opportunities that have occurred in the past. It is a real thing that has occurred where people are shipped in from other places on purpose by a group that is willing to pay the money for the bus, right? But is that inherently, like, bad or crooked or disingenuous? I mean, you know, people who support certain political parties might bus folks into the polls who couldn't get a ride otherwise. Or, you know, I mean, isn't this just a way of supporting a movement? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying we know that that occurs. And it is possible there if you were, let's say, going to pay um, several busloads of people 
to go, like you're paying for the bus and giving each person there a small amount of money who is going to go and spend their day doing that, that would be riding the line, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I, these are both fantastic points. I, I guess I would say, like, first off, I can't speak for everybody in, in the conspiracy stuff fam, but I've never donated millions of dollars. What I have donated, you know, uh, has not at this point at least reached some threshold where uh, an organization cares specifically what I want. Like if I donate to a literacy fund, they're not going to me and, and going, oh, you know, is there any book you don't want kids or the elderly to read? They don't care. I'll just get a letter that says, hey, thanks for agreeing with us that people should be able to read. So I, I don't know how much how much power is there, you know. Um, but but that point about what services are rendered or, you know, what that money is supporting, it's kind of like, um, you know, the argument is like with the Tea Party argument where people said these folks might think they're grassroots protesters, but they're being funded and and pushed into the forefront by very powerful right-wing entities. And that that did turn out to be at least partially true. Um, I, I just don't know. I think also I've got a – I don't know about you guys, but I have a little bit of a billionaire prejudice – I just like we see the way that countries with less money than Soros are able to already influence elections, right? In a, in a tremendously effective way. So, isn't it kind of circuitous to like take the long road around when you could just buy politicians? I don't know. Maybe it's about the journey. I don't know what it's like <laughs> to be a billionaire. Whatever it's about. I think it is worth us doing an entire episode on George Soros because there are so many current conspiracies surrounding him that it would be worth our time uh, just to look into him and all his various groups and see what we can discover. Yeah, people on Here's Where It Gets Crazy were asking for that as well. So agreed. Okay, so that's like the big tent. That's what you're most likely to hear about Antifa conspiracies. And it's not always Soros. We just think he's an excellent example because he is so uh, prevalent in, in these ideas. But there are other Antifa conspiracies out there, and some of them might surprise you. I, I guess we call this first group the anti-Antifa conspiracies, the anti-anti-fascist conspiracy. I don't know. Yes, and to jump into these anti-Antifa conspiracies, it would be really helpful if you could take your mind back to the good old days of Batman. And now when I say the good old days of Batman, I mean uh, just before Ben Affleck got involved. So like <laughs> around around the time of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, um, there, specifically in The Dark Knight, there is this amazing scene where Michael Caine comes in and he says, some men just want to watch the world burn. And I think he's right. No, I'm just joking. I don't know if he's right or not. But uh, that is the accusation of Antifa or groups calling themselves that or people identifying themselves as that and wearing, you know, shirts that have it written on on them that are usually black. But the, the concept here is that, you know, the true motives behind this group or people believing that is the abs, it's essentially chaos, but the absolute dissolution of any kind of government, any kind of ruling faction that exists and, and just bringing us all back to zero. It kind of reminds me of Mr. Robot in a way, like it reminds me a bit of the F society from, from that uh, show and series. 
just occurred to me that maybe the F Society stands for like F Society. Yeah, this is very I true. Think so. Yeah. Well, it, the the problem here is that they're not. You know, people making this accusation aren't necessarily wrong, but they also aren't necessarily right either. There's it's all of this stuff. It's such a gray area because there is probably some truth in that concept that there are people who identify themselves as Antifa that would like to see some of the major, you know, governing bodies and uh, governments across the world just kind of having to start over at least to some degree. Right. I mean, their anarchists are real. Anarchists are probably at least to an extent involved in Antifa uh, gatherings, let's say, or people who identify themselves as that, but how much or how little, like what that actual influence is, we just have no idea. We, we honestly, nobody has any idea. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it ties into the other, the other anti-antifa idea of subverting the rule of law. Right? Sometimes it's a it's a billionaire individual like Soros. Sometimes it's a group accused of one world ordering the planet, like. Um, the CFR or something. And then sometimes it's just plain old anarchist want to see the world burn. Um, this, this does tie in though with the other conspiracy of using well-intentioned movements to, as a vehicle to push for a different unrelated violent agenda. This thing works though. That's the problem with this one. Uh, we know even the most cursory study of human history shows that people are easily led and easily misled so this idea is that factions of Antifa, whatever their origins, whatever their motivations may actually be, will infiltrate an otherwise peaceful protest or movement and then try to push it further and further toward radicalization and violence. Like, you know, like let's say Noel, Matt, uh, Alexis, and Paul are all at, at, a, at a protest a peaceful protest against the closing of the local Applebee's. And then some other guy that no one has met shows up and is like, yeah, they should keep the Applebee's open. As a matter of fact, you know, if you think about it, we should burn down the chilies next to the street, you know, this the next street over. And we're like, no, we're peaceful Applebee's people. And like, yeah, well, you can't be a peaceful Applebee's person if you're not also uh, burning down that chilies. Well, isn't this a lot of the same stuff we covered in the Agent Provocateurs episode? I mean, it really, they do kind of go hand in hand, the idea of someone infiltrating a cause that has one particular aim that, that could well be peaceful uh, protest, and then trying to kind of cause, uh, I don't know, cause division within those ranks and try to convince people to, to, to lash out and do violent things in the interest of either co-opting that movement or potentially even having the, sh the protest be shut down, um, you know, to aid their particular, you know, viewpoints or, you know, is, is, would you say these things are related, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, I, I would categorize that as a left-wing Antifa conspiracy. So that's the, that's the crazy part. You'll hear about the right-wing Antifa conspiracies, but you may be surprised to learn organizations that are, that are affiliated with the political left are often themselves not automatically fans of what they consider Antifa. Part of that is the agent provocateur question. You know, we've covered that in other episodes, but that's not a conspiracy theory. That's an active conspiracy tactic. It happened before. It's maybe happening now. In my opinion, it probably is happening now. Uh, and it will definitely happen in the future. 
we know also that left a lot of left wing institutions, movements, and groups uh, have a huge problem with Antifa direct action, and they say that this this action. Uh, Violent action, whatever the motivation or intention on the part of protesters, creates more problems than it solves. So what makes Antifa in particular different from other movements? We'll talk more about that after a quick break. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know. Taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. And we're back with the question, what makes Antifa 
different? Why is it so special? Why is it popping up now uh, more than in the past? Well, we've we've discussed that it's uh, historically been a thing for for a while. Um, uh, There are some purported crimes of the Antifa movement or, you know, uh, multiple movements that exist under this kind of umbrella. One of them uh, is something called black block tactics. Yeah, and when you're talking about black block, this is something you've undoubtedly heard about or seen videos of somewhere, if not on live leaks, then in other places. Generally speaking, you would describe a black block, that's B-L-O-C, as a group that deploys some kind of violent tactic in you know one form or another during a protest that is occurring for another a completely other reason or you know a, an individual reason for that protest the black bloc would be there independently right and uh they would be doing things like we've seen uh, vandalism destruction of some kind of property occurring you know while the protest is going on a lot of times a group that we would call a black bloc would be targeting Sites of significance to probably the economy, that's a a very popular one, Uh, to government, you know, any kind of building like a city hall or something, a bank, uh, headquarters of a large corporation, there would be what would be considered or described as rioting. They would, you know, do something, this one's a little lighter fare, but, you know, demonstrating without a permit or outside of a free speech zone. (laughs) I think that's an important one. Uh, when we were when I was in Chile uh, in Santiago, we saw a lot of kind of black block things, but they were they were escalating in step with the police. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of South and Central America has heavily militarized police forces. Uh, but calling and demonstrating illegally, it sounds like a small thing, but. If you withdraw the legal means to demonstrate, then every demonstration is illegal. I think there's some tricky things that legal authorities can do there. Well, yeah, and even the act of demonstrating, you are knowingly bringing about a police response, right? So if if it if it's not legal to do that, you know that's going to happen. So then essentially a group like this would, or functioning as this, would prepare. They'd prepare defenses, essentially, uh, you know, barricades, they would encourage others to come out, you know, with them and do the same thing. They would provide uh, perhaps weaponry or other equipment for others, as well as providing medical care on site for anybody who's injured in their efforts. So why are they called this? Uh, why Black Bloc? This is B-L-O-C, by the way. Um, they are known for really leaning heavily on remaining anonymous, wearing black clothes, covering their face, and identifying marks like tattoos. Uh, that, that being said, though, these are all things that are any protesters are going to be doing now, a lot of, especially with the pandemic. Uh, it can be a lot harder to differentiate these groups. Um, and we in, in our episode about Protesting 101, uh, um, we made it pretty clear that it's a good idea to cover any identifying marks, etc. cetera. Uh, but here's the thing, moving in a unified mass, the logic being they can't get us all. Um, and that's true of any kind of, I don't know, I don't want to characterize this as like a gang or any kind of thing like that. It's, that's not the same thing, but that is a tactic that folks that are, say, in like motorcycle gangs would employ. Uh, they ride in a group because you can't chase down everybody. People can divide and conquer and split and just kind of cause the authorities to be overwhelmed. Yeah. 
And that's still sort of the case, right? That sort of works for any, I mean, that's the reason why if you want to get away with a robbery of a small business, you go in with 20 people um, and you move out fast. There's a power in numbers. It's inarguable, but it might not always make you anonymous uh, in the future. The surveillance state has been expanding. Uh, we've been in a massive expansionist phase of that since post 9-11. It hasn't stopped since it pretty in the future, it's conceivable that it doesn't matter what you wear or where you leave your phone. Authorities will be able to find you or at least make a plausible case against you and then proceed from there. Probably uh, another tactic that differentiates Antifa in the mind of the mainstream media is property damage. And it and it can feel pretty, you know, I, I don't know about anybody else. I can't speak for anybody else. But it, it feels a little off and pretty cold when you're seeing protests about massive injustices and loss of human life. And then the first thing someone in authority says about it is like, we have to protect the corporate building. You know what I mean? Like what at what? What is the hierarchy? Where where do uh, where do people stand in relation to property? Uh, it's it's an ongoing argument in this country. Uh, so the idea here is that Antifa is different from a lot of other protest groups or ideologies because purposeful physical violence is. Um, is in place somehow. So in 2017, activists self-identifying as Antifa or Black Bloc were accused of throwing Molotov cocktails, causing $100,000 worth of damage in the Berkeley protest, February 17th, uh, 2017. So that's like that's like one example. You can find a bunch of other examples as as well. And they're often... What's weird about this is a lot of the accusations of violence against people or against property on the side of protesters uh, is leveled at Antifa when it sh- when people calling themselves Antifa show up as counter protesters to right wing events. You know, unite the right or like a, a I, I don't know what I, I making up a plausible title in my head would be like freedom rally. I don't know. Sort of like in movies that don't have a lot of budget where you see products and it's like a jug of milk that just says milk, you know, or like a, a thing of juice that just says orange juice. Right. It's like but, that. But the thing here, though, that's interesting is that proponents of Antifa or supporters or people who say, you know, they identify with the, this or related movements, they'll argue that the media is misleading people that what is characterized as purposeful violence is often instead self-defense. And this is something you brought up, Matt, that I think is a very, very interesting thought that doesn't get addressed often enough. Oh, yeah, sure. And it goes back to the 1930s again, this time instead of in Germany, in Britain. And they had their own anti-fascist movement there, Antifa, when there was a a group gaining in popularity, a political group gaining popularity. They were known as British Union of Fascists, at least according to reporting done by Vox. And around that time in 1936, this group was attempting to have a large parade. Okay. This is a place called Cable Street in London there. And uh, what this group did, the British anti-fascist group did, was actually throw homemade bombs and bricks and other weapons at this group attempting to have a parade down the street to the point where they had to leave. The whole point here was to 
preemptively attack them in self-defense, and which sounds crazy, but the reasoning here is to defend against the possibility that a fascist group would eventually come to power, right? So they're defending themselves now for what the future would hold if this group came to power. It's uh, uh it's logically difficult. Uh, it's <laughs> but, tough. but imagine if you could have done that prior to the Nazis getting to power and you did it effectively enough where the Nazis just had to go home and be sad. Yeah, but but that's the time travel question. You don't know what happens because you're changing the timeline and, and history is obdurate. History doesn't always hinge on one person. Guarantee you, if you go back in time in, in that era of Germany, pre uh, rise of Nazi power and Adolf Hitler, and you kill Adolf Hitler as a child, there will probably still be a Nazi party. There will just be a different lunatic making speeches and you'll be locked up because you went back in time. And as far as they can tell, you just killed a baby. That's it. You're not a hero. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it does go back to the United States campaign of preemptive strikes against a lot of countries in the Middle East that were occurring yes. in the early 2000s. Um, like they might attack us someday. Um, yeah. It's weird because I think anybody listening with a critical enough mind can see both sides of that. I think you can see the concept of wanting to protect yourself against a group that may rise to power that would be very dangerous, at least that you believe personally that would be very dangerous. And and also that you're not you can't predict the future. That's man, it is just okay, that's a it's a complicated process of thinking through. <laughs> Well, let's look at it from another side, too. I, I, I think this is a tremendously important thought. So let's flip, flip it a little bit, flip the narrative and say, what if in the halls of power, uh, the argument is, look, we're playing fast and loose with the Constitution. We're cutting some corners because we are preemptively defending the country because Antifa may be you know, primarily known as protesting groups now, but we think they're going to be terrorists. It's not just a thought experiment. That's literally what's what's happening or what's what's kind of in the mix, in the in the dirty, dirty cauldron known as Twitter. Well, and that's sort of where we get to the point we are in terms of the rhetoric surrounding Antifa and the way it's used to label folks that may have may have nothing to do with it, may not identify as it or even align with any of these concepts. But it's something that the president has used quite effectively to label um, folks who disagree with him or his policies or with uh, protests to, to kind of you know, malign or in some way diminish um, the idea of a peaceful protest or the idea of uh, the cause that a protest might represent by labeling folks as Antifa and consequently labeling Antifa as a terrorist organization. This is something that he has pushed for. In June, he tweeted something to that that effect. Uh, And this is absolutely in line with the administration and the Justice Department's ongoing argument that Antifa groups are the source of violence in all recent protests. Um, and yet, if you've, if, if you've been paying attention, it's not one thing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's that absolute leaning into this kind of bundling up of, uh, of labeling this, you know, 
multiple kind of splintered groups into as one thing, all of which must be uh, about the exact same thing, which is violence, disruption, agitating, and, um, you know, just uh, basically characterizing it as being against the rule of law. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, anyone can have any intention they want at any time, just like an opinion. But when it comes to the law, there, there are tricky things there. The U.S. doesn't really have the legal mechanism to do what the current administration wants to have done. The U.S. government only formally designates foreign groups as terrorist organizations or FTOs. And that means the actions have to be taken internationally uh, through a larger organization, right? The Soros theory would have to be real. Uh, And Antifa or people identifying as that, um, to your point, Matt, they, they, they do exist other countries. It's not an American enterprise. It started in Europe. Uh, but those folks are acting autonomously. They just sort of agree that they would like to use the same methods. So it doesn't seem like that meets the requirements for the State Department to l- label it a terrorist organization. But again, what's in a name, what's in a designation, federal law enforcement already uses uh, domestic terrorism categories to organize and describe cases, right, where they bring up the name or the phrase Antifa. And then there are already a host of anti-terrorism laws that authorities can use against what are called domestic extremists. So we get we, – we really quickly fall into legalese here. But as we know, in a post-9-11 world, uh, that kind of – kind of legalese is too often – words and wind. You know what I mean? And the practice, the practice can be very, very different on the ground. We should say, of course, that people who identify as anarchists and activists using these tactics disagree, surprise, surprise, with the administration's claims. They say there's not any evidence. And then some other people say, well, shouldn't you consider designating far-right extremist groups terrorist as well? It's a fair question. Yeah, I mean, remember when the FBI tried to label uh, Juggalos as a terrorist organization? <laughs> oh, I thought it was just a gang. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. My potato, potato. No, I know that they're, they're very different. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it, it does point to a political motive. One cannot, at least, at the very least, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, it is weird that uh, the Anti-Defamation League actually had some information on this. And their findings were that well over, well, over 70% of murders that would be considered uh, extremist, essentially, uh, that have occurred within the United States were committed by groups that they would describe as far-right or white supremacist. Uh, That's pretty interesting, 70% of those, at least according to the Anti-Defamation League. And... You know, as you can probably imagine, if you don't believe that statistic, if you don't agree with a group or organization like the Anti-Defamation League, you probably disagree with that uh, statement, right? Or you believe it's the opposite. Um, A lot of this ends up coming down to belief, unfortunately. So so what has the, the government itself done in response to, you know, these concepts about Antifa and the rumors and conspiracies that have been roiling up around them. 
things fall apart, the center cannot hold. You know what I mean? Uh, the the problem is that there's not a uh, a unified response. The U.S. the current U.S. administration maintains a view that Antifa should be considered a terrorist group and subject to uh, the considerations that definition includes. But Mark Bray, uh, the author you mentioned at the top, Matt, says that this is an attempt to control the conversation and shift it away from what he describes as widespread socioeconomic discontent in the U.S., which, you know, goes across all levels, if we're being honest. And uh, there, there's not like one group of people uh, that's there's not one large group of people that's super happy, right? Uh, and he says that there's a there's a mathematical problem here. He believes that there are literally not enough members of various Antifa groups out there to be doing all the stuff that uh, the DOJ, by the way, and and the administration are are, are claiming that they have done. Um, so so yeah, and then you'll see other, of course. The ideas in municipal, regional-level governments, state-level governments may differ. Your individual mileage may vary. Uh, that, that's the problem. There was, a, uh, there was a report by a national counterterrorism unit in January of 2020, I want to say, that found the same thing. They were like, no one's on the same page about this. We have these serious gaps. Uh, I don't know if we can go out and call a group terrorist and just keep changing the definition of what terrorism is or what that group is until we get it to work. Because that's a little bit like, well, far be it for me to say the F word. Fascism. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit, right? To, to like, look, we all love improvisation. I love improv. Yes, and is, is, such, a, is such a beautiful panacea and balm. But does improvisation belong in these kind of things? Does it belong in government? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's true, but there's definitely a lot of things that don't belong in, in government, but uh, we, we see them every day. And improvisation certainly become a big, a big one. Yes, and this is an ongoing story. Sorry, I'm not above no, this. No, no, you were there. You were there. But, you were but there. It, this is an ongoing story because right now, if, if this would, if this, perspective was pushed through and this designation became closer to being a reality no one really knows what would happen we haven't been to that like part of constitutional argument yet constitutional scholars are the majority of them are like okay this would be illegal but no one can no one has a hundred percent proof about that like we it would be an argument and while it was being an argument you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, forces on the ground would just act like, you know, the argument had been decided in whichever way they wish, whatever that way might be. And that's where we're at. We tried on this one to give an objective view of Antifa and the conspiracies and the differing narratives about it. And also the huge, again, the huge, the tremendous problems with definitions. If I, if I start calling people pop farts, and the definition of a pop fart is that I think you're a pop fart, then it just depends on what kind of day I'm having, right? As to whether or not you were prosecuted as a pop fart. That's just... A- yeah. Best pop farts out there are definitely strawberry frosted, just uh, so everybody's aware. I like um, the cinnamon sugar ones myself. Oh, <laughs> can't stand them. I don't really? 
Okay. Well, I guess uh, I guess we're on two sides of the pop <laughs> fart divide here, my friend. Um, I think it's well, three. I'm a s'mores guy. I, I like the s'mores oh. ones too. No, I like the s'mores one too because they've got the graham crackery kind of crust. You know that really sets them apart. Uh, but but it's the same as like you know this labeling thing is something that we see too um, in 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 political rhetoric where people are given kind of uh, insulting nicknames <laughs> and it starts to kind of sink into the public con- when you repeat something enough uh, our brains tend to bucket things in those ways that you were talking about Ben at the top of the show our brains look for patterns and that could be something as simple as saying you know farty Ben Bolin uh, but before you know it people think Ben Bolin's got a flatulence problem I'm sorry I'm just sticking with the fart thing here no, um, no, no, no. you know uh, but it's it's true and, and words are very powerful Powerful. And Antifa, because it's such a pithy little brand name sounding thing, it's something that's very easy to lump folks into, even if you don't really know what it is, which a lot of people don't seem to. So we would love to know your opinion about all of this. Are you extremely anti-Antifa? Or are you down with whatever that cause represents, you know, according to you? Uh, are you like Chandler Weirastek of Charlotte, North Carolina, who, according to The Intercept, wrote wrote a message to the FBI and was all like, hey, I lead uh, Antifa over here in Charlotte. What's up? And then they totally came out to his house to have a little chat with him. Um, read The Intercept, by the way. That story is called, he tweeted that he was the leader of Antifa, then the FBI asked him to be an informant. It's fantastic. Um <laughs> But, you know, how really, how do you feel about this? What do you think about it? We would love to know your opinion, especially if you identify as Antifa or you are a part of a group that would consider themselves Antifa. We'd love to hear from you and just know your story. Uh, you can contact us anonymously, by the way, if you wish to do that through an email or uh, through a phone call that is, you can just, you can talk to us if you're worried about your own safety or uh, privacy. Right. Yeah. Um, the, also, while you're at it, what's what's your where are you at with this whole pop tart pop fart thing? Uh, you know, we want your opinions. You are the most important part of the show. And uh, this has nothing to do with anything. But I, I don't know about you all. I'm curious. Why is it normal in the U.S. to eat candy for breakfast? Let us know. Uh, let us let us know about the Antifa stuff first. That should be the priority. Uh, you can get in contact. Yeah, they, people should be eating bacon, right? Just bacon for breakfast. Just, just bacon. You know it. Uh, so, uh, let us know. You can find us in so many ways. As as Matt said, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, of the three, we highly recommend our Facebook community page. Here's where it gets crazy. You can also find us as individuals online. Yeah, if you'd like to do so, you can find me on Instagram. I am at how now Noel Brown. If you want to know my Instagram handle and you're upset, you're, you're going to have to listen to another episode of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know to figure out my handle. Ooh, well played, Matt. Well Way played. to hold the audience hostage, my man. Oh, God, the master at work. Mm. Changing the rules as we go. Doing a chef kiss for you, man. Uh, okay, yeah, you can also, uh, I've been building out some survival kits for friends and families. You can watch a little bit more of that at Ben Bolin on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Ben Bolin HSW. 
But I hate social media, you might be saying. We, of all people, get it. If you have a message you'd still like to relate to us, we have a phone number you can call. That's right. You can reach us at one eight three three stdwytk Leave a message at the sound of Ben's dulcet tone. Uh, and uh, I think they're, what, three and a half minutes-ish apiece. So, you know, try to be brief if you can, but feel free to leave a couple if you need to continue the story. And now we've got a weekly outlet for these wonderful uh, messages from you, the most important part of the show. So uh, bring them on, and you might hear yourself on the show. Please be sure to let us know if you want to remain anonymous, if you want us to take your name out entirely we've been taking last names out just a standard operating procedure but just let us know if you want to what level of anonymity you wish uh, and we will honor that and just as a counterpoint the shorter and sweeter you make your message no matter if it's a suggestion or comment or whatever the better because uh, honestly we're still in the midst of june messages right now trying to make our way through so hopefully very soon we will catch up but it's a relatively good problem to have. These are these are really great stories, and uh, we're finally at a place where we can actually kind of push some of those out for, for all of you to hear. I'm personally excited about it. Me too. I think we're all excited. <laughs> Shorter and sweeter could be better if you wanted to. If you wanted to. Uh, if you don't want to do any of that stuff, but you still want to contact us, you can always reach us at our good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 